We've been looking together here for several weeks now on the life of Peter, and we're talking about uh, how Peter developed as a Christian. And I think that's a good thing for us to remind ourselves of, that, that we need time to grow and to mature in Christ. And one of those opportunities to do that very well is forgiveness. And so we look at this concept of unlimited forgiveness today. And so really I have a question for you. How many times should I forgive someone? Uh, do you have somebody uh, that you could think about right now? That uh, maybe you've been holding a, a bit of a grudge? Uh, maybe they don't deserve forgiveness? Uh, that is often the case. So do you have someone like that? So just forget them, okay? It's not easy. It's not easy at all. Oftentimes, the one who hurts us the most is one of those who are the closest to us. They have maybe a deeper avenue into our heart, and that can make forgiveness very difficult. So today, we're going to look at this question that Peter asked Jesus. How many times should I forgive someone? And uh, I can just imagine how the disciples felt about that. I even have a little cartoon for you here today. It says, uh, I, I told you not seven times, but 70 times seven. And then you can see the disciple in the back. You see him? Great. Not only do I have to forgive my brother, now I have to do math. You see, that is exactly the point. You don't have to do math. It is not about keeping track. Uh, it's not about how many times do I have to forgive, and then I don't have to forgive them anymore. You know, if they get over that hump, you know, I, so many times. But here's what, what Peter did when, when he asked Jesus this question. This is Matthew 18, 21. Peter came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often... Should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. You know, it's interesting. Some different uh, translations will use, but 77 times or sevenfold. And, and the, something is amiss here. The best understanding is that Jesus was just making... A, an exaggeration. No, not seven. Seventy times seven. What's seventy times It doesn't matter because you have to do it more. Unlimited forgiveness is our topic today. So it is 490. Very good. Uh, what Jesus really meant was, no, just an unlimited number of times. He meant you don't have to keep track. Now, the rabbis of his day, they had... Um, teaching that they would do, and, and they taught if you had been wronged, then you must forgive someone even two times. Maybe if you're really a good, nice, generous person, you could give three times, three times at most. So let me tell you, the Jews would never forgive you a fourth time. That was it. I mean, they, they said, look, if you're going to continue to do this, I'll forgive you. Once, twice, well, okay, three times, but then we're done. 
And you know, it's, it's, it's funny to think of it that way because sometimes today we're even worse. We don't give people second chances. You know, we're, we're, we don't even want to give them a first chance, but, uh, we, we say things like this. Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Like, hey, once is enough. I am not going to trust you a second time. No second chances. You see, we can be so cynical. Isn't that great? I mean, ask yourself, how often do I keep track of offenses? You have somebody who's offended you? Do you know how many times? Was there just one big offense, or does it keep coming up? You know, and it might even be somebody in your own family. Uh, certainly could be a person in your neighborhood. Could be all kinds of relationships that we keep track of offenses. You know, we're even trained to do this. Uh, as Americans, remember Pearl Harbor. Uh, do any of you remember Pearl Harbor? Maybe a couple. Uh, most do not. First service, we had lots of those. Um, but you can even go back. Remember the Maine. That was what started the, the uh, Spanish-American War. Remember the Alamo, you know, these battle cries. And it wasn't for forgiveness. It was for revenge. And, and so we were, we were really about that. Now, most of us here would, would get this next one. Remember 9-11. And there's definitely some feelings that, that come out of these national tragedies. On a more personal level, we have remembering someone who has done something bad towards you. And maybe we'll say things like, well, I'll forgive him, but I am not going to forget it. Or, you know, and it's particularly when it's a close relationship that there's been a pain could be a family member, a brother, sister, especially true when there's an ex, even my ex, you know, and, and what we go through on these. It's so easy and so human to keep track of offenses. Uh, and it's, but it's kind of cynical to do that because it makes us less desiring of forgiveness. I, I saw this quote that a cynic is someone who believes that people are motivated purely by self-interest. And so, no one can be trusted. And therefore, no one should be forgiven. You don't have to, if you're a good cynic, you don't have to forgive anyone. So, at the end of today, you have to decide, am I going to be a cynic? Or am I going to be a Christian? Am I going to be a saved? Whoa. You know, cynical people distrust everyone. So forgive no one. But Christians are people who are called to trust and forgive, and in, even to forgive even before you're asked to forgive, and, and to forgive even when it's undeserved. Wow, that's a lot to ask. Now, wait a second here. Now, wait, you, you're saying I have to forgive her, but I'm not going to forgive her until she apologizes and begs for my forgiveness. If she'll do that, then I'll forgive her. You know, We put qualifications on our forgiveness. That is not unlimited forgiveness. That is not the kind of forgiveness that Christ offers. What does Jesus do? From the cross, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. And that's the case a lot of times. But what if they do know what they're doing and they hurt you? Should you forgive them? Well, let's take a look. 
So we have this list of offenses. But another thing we do is we keep track of our own forgivenesses for others. And, you know, how many times do I have to do this? And we do this because we want justice. We want justice, not grace. Uh, have you ever been in a legal battle with anybody? Justice. I want justice. Well, did you get justice? Oh, you know, that is, is very difficult. So here's Peter asking, how often, how many times do I have to forgive? And, and let me tell you, Peter's very generous in, in what he offers. He says, should I forgive seven times? Well, that's like double what the, the rabbis would even suggest. It's interesting that he chooses seven. Seven is often referred to as a perfect number. But the number seven in Scripture also means completeness. So could it be that, that you know, how do we complete the task of forgiveness? Uh, seven is that number, seven days in a week. That makes one complete week. On the seventh day, God rested, and, and we should rest from our, our grudges, too. But know here that Peter, like many of us, was trying to justify himself. He does that. So do we. Peter is keeping track. He just wants to know, how many times do I have to forgive before I can hold a grudge? And, and you know, Jesus then sees, well, it's not about the number. It's about one more time. And Jesus tells a story about one person who had a problem with forgiveness. And this person actually plays three different roles in this parable. And much like us, he has a choice, and he makes some good choices and some bad choices. So let's take a look. This is the very next verse, and it says, therefore. So they've been talking about forgiveness, how many times you have to forgive. Therefore, here's what the kingdom of heaven can be compared to. A king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. You know, it's amazing how often uh, our grievances have economic basis to them. They don't always. A lot of them can be relational, but, but, but this one is the case here. There's economics involved. And the first role of this man in our story is the role of debtor. Uh, it, it says in verse 24, in the process, one of the king's debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Now, this is kind of hard to translate because it's, it's, it's talking about talents in, 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 the, um, in the Greek. And, and when we go back there, and how much was a talent? But uh, when you even figure out the value of dollars today, this could be like $10 million. Actually, one um, commentary writer suggested as much as $20 million. So the point is not how many millions, but here again, it was a debt he could not pay. Millions. He couldn't pay. So the master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay to debt. Doesn't that seem like a bad way to do things? Yeah. Just, you can't pay your debt, so just 
we'll just sell your kids. And you got to have more kids, you know. Oh, you run out of kids? We're going to sell your wife and all your stuff. And yeah, that was a, I don't know how common, but it was a well-known practice of the day that that's what would happen to you. But the man, verse 26, fell down before his master and he begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. So the debtor is kind of the best role this guy is going to play today because what does he do? He humbles himself. That's the right attitude. He, he begs for patience. Notice that he does not beg for forgiveness. He only begs for more time. He foolishly thinks that he can get out of debt on his own, and he knows that he has no right of, to expect any kind of forgiveness. Uh, this, too, is a good example for us to humble ourselves, to, to beg for patience and forgiveness, and to grant those to others. Well, this is what happens in verse 27. And the master was filled with pity for him, and he released him, and he forgave his debt. It's so interesting when we think about uh, uh, money that's owed and you offer forgiveness. That's the, the canceling of the debt. Of course, when we think of forgiveness, we're thinking about we have sinned and we have the debt of sin. And only God could pay that debt for us. And that's why Jesus died on the cross, to forgive us, to pay a debt we could not pay. So that's the role of debtor. Now our man moves into his second role in this story, the role of creditor. Verse 28, when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Wow, this is the same guy who was just humbly begging for patience. The creditor, though, He's violent. He's mean. He's nasty. He refuses to listen to the one who owes him a debt. He refuses to be patient. He withholds grace. He's hard-hearted. He's unforgiving. And he's unchanged. He had his debt forgiven, and he doesn't offer the same to someone who owes him a relatively small amount. Now, none of us could pay millions of dollars, right? I mean, even if I sold all my kids and grandkids, that's, it's probably not going to do it. Uh, I haven't really been willing to part with my wife, so... Um, of course, millions of dollars would, would come from that. But all your stuff, everything... You couldn't pay it. But this guy owes a few thousand dollars. And I think if I was really, really hard-pressed, I would come up with, I could come up with hundreds or maybe even a few thousand dollars. Could you? <laughs> maybe today's not a good day to ask. Uh, but, you know, if, if most of us were pinched, we, we could do that, especially if we were given more time. And that's what, that's what this, uh, this guy is refusing to offer to the one who owes him a little bit. Just give me some more time, and I'll pay it. No. Um, 
This is verse 29. The fellow servant fell down before him, begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it. He makes a promise. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Now, doesn't that seem like a dumb idea? Why would you put the guy in prison until he could pay the debt? He can't earn any money, he can't you know, pay it while he's in prison. Well, here's the deal. That's what they would do. And it was up to the family. It was like the family needed to ransom their loved one to get him out of prison. In, in those days, even the families, most of the time, were required to bring food and clothing and, and blankets or whatever uh, to take care of a prisoner. A prisoner had nothing. It wasn't like today, where prisoners have a lot. Um, and, and so it was a difficult situation. And um, how's he going to pay it? It's going to be because somebody else even still pays it for him. So that's the, the role of the creditor. The man does badly as a creditor. He does badly as a debtor. But he has a third role to play, and that's the role of a prisoner. Verse 31, when some of the other servants saw this, that he had demanded payment from the one who owed him a few, little bit, they were very upset, as they should be. They went to the king, and they tattletailed. They told him everything that had happened. Then the king called the man that he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. He pronounces judgment. You are evil. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant? just as I had mercy on you. And there it is. That's the question for each of us today. And we all here would say, yes, of course we would. But do we? If we're keeping track of offenses or if we're keeping track of graces, forgivenesses that we've offered, then then maybe we're not showing mercy and showing grace. Verse 34 tells us that the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Here, torture is added. And, and that's what faces the prisoner in that day. That's what faces us when, when our debts are not covered. So look what we see here. We see that the prisoner is convicted. When we think about conviction, God will use conviction to show us our sin, to show us our debts. But we are not convicted of them if they are paid for with the blood of Christ. But this person is convicted. He is punished. Uh, punishment is an interesting thing. That's, that's to cause you harm or pain uh, I don't know if we have as much punishment in our penal system today, but it used to be cruel and unusual punishment, and we outlawed that, which is probably a good thing, but, you know, sometimes I remember when I misbehaved, I needed a little discipline 
I considered it punishment. Uh, if it's done in love, I don't think it is punishment. I think it is correction, discipline. But notice this prisoner is also a captive. He has no hope of escape. He is captive by his debt, by his sin. And he is placed under condemnation. He's condemned. He's convicted and condemned as a prisoner with no hope out. Now, it says in verse 34 that he was sent to prison to be tortured until he paid his debt, but we already know that there's, that was a debt that was impossible for him to ever be able to pay. And that's what faces us. When we have the debt of sin, it is impossible for us to pay. And as we saw last week, the wages of sin is death. And But Christ offers us life. He offers us forgiveness of our sin. So we have this guy. What is wrong with this guy? Well, maybe it's the same thing that's wrong with many of us who, who are professing Christians today. We've received forgiveness, but we haven't got it deep within us. We haven't experienced it and made it part of us so that others see it. It's not in our heart. What this man did was evil. And when we are forgiven, we are to forgive. To withhold forgiveness is sin. It too is evil. To withhold grace is to do evil. So what's wrong with this man? He is given grace and he refuses to share it. And that's what happens to us today. What's the lesson for Peter? What's the lesson for us? I mean, Peter asked for a just measure. I mean, tell me, three times do I have to forgive? Do I have to forgive for, for seven times? I'm willing to do seven. I mean, that's double what the rabbis are asking. Isn't that enough? No, it's not enough. Well, 490? How about 491? Is that enough? No, it's not enough. Peter's saying, like, give me a rule. Give me, give me something I can follow. Give me a, a, a law, and I will obey it. Well, Jesus told him not to keep track. He told him to practice continual forgiveness. Practice unlimited forgiveness the way God forgives you. Jesus told him to forget measuring. Now, measuring is what the law does. How many offenses, you know, what do you have to pay? What's the penalty? Uh, th those are what the law and order does. But we are not under the law. We are under grace. And so keeping track of offenses is a legalistic thing. And we are to put those aside. We are to be forgiven and to forgive others. Like the man in the story, we too are way too focused on justice and not enough on grace. I saw this quote, it is unbelievable for a Christian disciple who has been forgiven a lifetime of sin to be unforgiving of others. That's because it's not possible. If you are a Christian, you are forgiven. And the very next thing is you are a forgiver. You are forgiven to forgive. Look at verse 35. When 
Jesus talks about the debt and the torture and the punishment, he says, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Do do you see that there? What, What Jesus is saying is the heavenly Father is in charge. He has the authority. And and if you refuse to forgive once you've been forgiven, you're evil, that you're sinful. And notice here that it's even talking about forgiving brothers and sisters. This is for the church. This is not even about forgiving enemies. This today is is more about even forgiving your brothers and sisters. And, And really, those last three words, that's what really get us. It's from your heart. How many times do we forgive and just say the word, I forgive you, but we don't mean it? How many times do we fool ourselves in thinking, well, I, I did forgive them, but I, but I don't forget? And, it, and it's hard to forget. Do we ever forget? Does God help us forget? I believe he does, and sometimes it takes a long time. I don't know. But it's from your heart. It's not just from your mouth. It's not just from thinking that you have forgiven. It's that you really have. You're all in on this. So forgive as you've been forgiven. I want to share what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4. This is verse 30. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Do you see that? We grieve, we bring pain, sorrow to God by the way we live if we're not living the forgiven life. If we're forgiven, then we forgive others. He he goes on, remember, he has identified you as his own, and he's guaranteed that you will be saved on the day of redemption. You're forgiven. So because of that, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. I look at that list. Those are unforgiving words. Those are the kind of attitudes that we have when we don't forgive. And he says, as well as all types of evil behavior. Get rid of those things. Do you realize you have a responsibility as a forgiven person to get rid of these things? But it's more about not just doing these negative things. It's about doing the right things, the positive things. And that's what's listed next. It says, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. You have been forgiven, and so you get a chance to forgive. Now, I I want to clarify that, yes, we are to do that who are the closest around us, the church, our closest relationships. We must forgive those. But it also extends out to people who don't deserve our forgiveness. Well, our family might not deserve our forgiveness too. But even to forgive your enemies, that's a lot tougher. But we need to get into the habit, the practice of forgiveness. Put away those things. Add on these things. You enter in 
to the own, your own process of being a forgiving person. So I want you to think today about this. Where do you find yourself in this story? The first question is, have you been forgiven? Do you realize that you're a sinner? Do you own it? Uh, I hear lots of times people say, well, I'm a good person. The translation of that is, I'm not a sinner. Well, the Bible tells us that we have all sinned. We have all fallen below God's standard of behavior. And there's hope. If you've been forgiven, then live like it. But the first thing is to know that you truly are forgiven. And, and, and then practice living, practice being forgiven. Jesus even tells us to forgive like himself. Forgive like Jesus. Wow, that's pretty tough. I mean, Jesus is on the cross, dying in great anguish and pain. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, a lot of times people will hurt you and you wonder, what are they thinking? What are they doing? When we hurt other people, what are we doing? We don't know what we're doing. And we need to get in touch and understand ourselves. We need to know if we're a sinner or if we have been forgiven. But then are you a, a debtor still? You need to receive God's grace. Are there sins that happen in your life and keep continuing? Those are indications. Those are moments when we can say, oh, forgive me. When other people sin against you, that's a trigger too. Forgive them and receive God's grace. Are you a creditor still? Do you play the role of creditor sometime and, and you're demanding uh, apologies or or? A recompense or, you know, you're going through difficulty and, and it's because somebody else has done you wrong and until they make it right, you know, you're going to be a creditor. At some point, you need to release that. You need to release that sin of a grudge. Release others and you do that with forgiveness. Are you a prisoner still? Have you been hurt so badly that you are captive to that harm? Do you need to repent and say, I'm not going to go down that path of revenge. I'm going to turn. I'm going to go your way, God. Because that's the only way you can be free from sin by accepting what Christ has done for you and then by offering that to others. We are forgiven to forgive. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we too can offer unlimited forgiveness. So today, what do you do with this story? Well, don't keep track of offenses or forgivenesses. Release those. Be a person who's been forgiven and lives like and offers forgiveness to others. I'd invite you to pray. Lord, I just ask for your blessing upon each of us here today. As we have heard your words, as we have shared this story that you shared with those disciples so long ago, 
we need that truth in our own lives today. Forgive us when we sin. Forgive our debt to you and to others. And help us live as forgiven people and grant forgiveness to others within whatever capacity we have. And Lord, for some of us, it's just practicing saying it. Yes, I forgive you. And we might have to say that to ourselves a lot before it really becomes a part of us. But by your spirit of love filling us, make it possible. Help us to forgive. And help us to go from this place as forgiving people. Lord, release us from the captivity that unforgiveness causes us. May we be victorious in you because you have paid the price to forgive us and to make us forgivers. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, a lot of times I tell you that translation of amen. May it be so. And if you're dealing with unforgiveness today and you want to give that over to God, if you've done that, if you've had that opportunity and taken advantage of it, may it be so. God bless you.